Father, thank you for the refreshment. Thank you for real holy laughter that we can enjoy. And our Lord, now we ask that you would teach us. Uh, this is a, a section about being helpful to others. And we pray that uh, you would uh, teach us so that we might, there are people all around us who need helps. And we pray that we would be formed to be that for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. You say our you're you're the premillennialist. You're supposed to be a literalist. Are we as an hour? I thought it was supposed to be done at quarter till twelve. Right? Well, you're not as literal as you take as you should be taken. All right. You gotta read Revelation the same way, you'll be better off. Okay. <laughs> Poor Alan. Alan, you deserve all the ribbing that you get. Now I saw in my dream that just as they had ended this talk that is Christian and pliable, they drew, Christian and pliable, drew near to a very miry slough. It's not slough like a cow, and it's not slough like tough. It's slough like through. You go through something. A very miry slough which is a filthy quagmire, according to the revised, authorized, revised version or whatever, that was in the middle of the plain. And not watching where they were going, they both suddenly fell into the bog. The name of the slough was Despond. Here it is on the map, the slough of Despond. And here, therefore, they wallowed for some time, being shamefully bedaubed with the dirt. And Christian, because of the burden that was on his back, began to sink into the mire. Now, Charles Spurgeon and I differed on many things, but we agreed on a lot of things too. And one thing in which we agreed is the way we approach the slew of despond. A little bit, little bit of a lengthy quotation, but it's kind of cute. And uh, it'll make the point about where um, I think but Bunyan went awry where he put the slew of despond. Here's, this is quoting from Spurgeon, although uh, Sinclair Ferguson has it in the book, The Whole Christ. By the way, Spurgeon says, let me tell you a little story about Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress. I am, said Charles Spurgeon and Bill Shishko, a great lover of John Bunyan, but I do not believe him infallible. And the other day I met with a story about him, which I think is a very good one. There was a young man in Edinburgh who wished to be a missionary. He was a wise young man. So he thought, if I am to be a missionary, there's no need for me to transport myself far away from home. I may as well be a missionary in Edinburgh. Well, this young man started and determined to speak to the first person he met. He met one of those old fishwives with her basket of fish on her back. Those of us who have seen them can never forget them. They are extraordinary women indeed. So stepping up to her, he said, here you are coming along with your burden on your back. Let me ask you, have you got another burden, a spiritual burden? What, she asked? You mean that burden in John Bunyan's... This woman, incidentally, has got some New York in her. What, she asked, you mean that burden in John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress? Because if you do, young man, I got rid of that burden many years ago, probably before you were born. I wonder how long this guy wanted to be a missionary after this. But anyway, but she goes on. She says, but I wanted way better than the pilgrim did. The evangelist that John Bunyan talks about was one of your parsons that don't preach the gospel. For he said, keep that light in your eye and run to the wicked gate. 
Why, man alive, that was not the place to run to. He should have said, you see that cross? Run there at once. But instead of that, he sent the poor pilgrim to the wicket gate first, and much good he got by going there. He got tumbling into the slough and was like to have been killed by it. The young man was rather abashed. But, 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 but did you not, the young man asked, go through any slough of despond? Oh, yes, I did. But I found it a great deal easier going through it with my burden off than with it on. The old woman, continues Spurgeon, was quite right. John Bunyan put the putting off of the burden too far off from the commencing of the pilgrimage. If he meant to describe what usually happens, he was right. But if he meant to show what ought to have happened, he was wrong. And I put an amen by this in my book. The cross should be right in front of the wicket gate. And we should say to the sinner, throw yourself down there and you're safe. But you're not safe until you can cast the burden and lie at the foot of the cross and find peace in Jesus. So let's keep that in mind as we're looking at the slew of despond. Uh, but as we look at it today, dear brothers and sisters, as not a small part of the real world in which we live. And we'll kind of parse slew of despond in a little bit, but hopefully you have your burden off by coming to Christ. You're still going to fall into the slew of despond, and you're going to need a help. So in the time we have, which is what, 30 minutes, right? We're going to talk about the, the slew of despond. Evangelist, of course, did direct Christians to the cross, need to direct people to Christ when they say, what must I do? Believe in the Lord Jesus. Let's talk about the slew. What is this slew of despond? Well, now let's skip Bunyan's description because we're running a little bit late here, so I'll let you read that for yourself. It, it, is, it is, says Bunyan, the stuff of the scum and the filth of the world. And this is, this is Pastor Bill's describing the scum and filth of the slew of despond. And as you hear this, uh, ask yourself if you've ever fallen into a slew, the cesspool of these things. Sin and conviction of sin is part of the slew. Guilt, false guilt, there's a lot of that, and true guilt. Fear is part of the slew. Fear of God, fear of yourself, fear of the world. Doubt is part of the slew. Is God really faithful? Or about yourself? Am I really faithful? Warnings are part of the slew. The threatenings of the word of God are part of the slew. Unbelief is part of the slew of despond. Weariness is part of it. A certain desponding in your own mind is part of the slew. Opposition, real or felt, is part of the slew. A big part of the slew, trials. And then another part of the slew, satanic attack and discouragement. That's, that's the stuff of this cesspool of the slew of despond. And you all know what I'm talking about, because you and I have been in that slew, and you're not just in it once. You fall into it many times in your Christian life. Along comes to Christian and pliable in the slew help. 
And help says, what are you doing here? Why don't you look for the steps? And the steps that are spoken of here are what you read of. You don't have to turn to it. Second Peter chapter 1 and verse 4. Those exceeding great and precious promises. Those are the steps out of the slew of despond. For the slew, your steps are things like these. The step that helps you walk out of the slew part, sin and conviction of sin. All manner of sin and iniquity will be forgiven you. If the Lord should count iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? That's part of the slew. But, remember, probably the most important word in the Bible, phrase, but God, but there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. It isn't God wonderful. You say, but my sins are so bad. They are so repeated. The Lord will abundantly pardon. I love that. The Lord will pardon over and over and over and over and over again. Yes, but I continue to sin. I think our Lord spoke about granting forgiveness when a person sins 70 times, seven times in a day. And if we're to do that, how much more does he do it? The steps, the step of forgiveness. And the best one of all, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Moralism can't say that. Moralism can't say he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins because justice is to bring punishment for sin. How can he be just to forgive us our sins? Because sin for his people is punished in the cross. And those folks are steps. They are steps. Let me give you a, a personal illustration. Many years ago, Margaret's and my very dearest friend, a young man converted through the, the first ministry of which I was a part in South Carolina back in the late 1970s. Uh, by then, he had come into the church in Franklin Square, although he was uh, in the military and was moving around. Um, but he and his wife had met when we had our mission work in Brooklyn, and they were married, and we kept contact with him. And this dear brother, Larry Stavish, uh, acquired a very aggressive cancer. He was a young man. When you get cancer and you're a triathlon athlete and you're young, that cancer goes through your body real fast. And within nine months, he was dead. And two weeks before he died, his pastor, an OPC minister, was a chaplain in Iraq at the time, was away. And uh, the elders gave me permission from Franklin Square to go down uh, to be with Larry and Daisy, his wife, and their two young children. It was two weeks before he died before he went to glory. And I'll never forget, it was 2 o'clock in the afternoon on a Saturday of that 4th of July weekend. I forget the year, but I went to the house. I did not want to go into this house. I didn't want to, I to knock on the door. I didn't know what I would see. And what I saw that Saturday afternoon was a very uh, distraught wife. Uh, children were just in shock as they sat and watched their dad, who was quite literally a skeleton with some skin on it and ministered to them for a couple of hours, bringing the comforts of the gospel, knowing that I was going to have to go back. I would not see Larry again the side of glory. Driving back from North Carolina to 
uh, New York. I stayed overnight at a motel along the way. I felt, brothers and sisters, like I was assaulted by a thousand devils. Thoughts of atheism, of which I had been very guilty in my teenage years. Uh, not, not thoughts of giving in to gross immorality, but quite frankly, asking myself, Lord, how can you really exist and these things happen? And then feeling miserably guilty myself, even thinking, I mean, I didn't sleep. It was awful. And worship the next morning. I didn't want to worship. My wife wasn't with me. It was raining. I just, I didn't, I just didn't want to be near anything. And went to an Orthodox Presbyterian church. One of the reasons I love our order of worship, it's great. You come into the presence of God, and you're called to that. Thank God it always begins with a salutation, grace to you and peace. When I heard that, tears began to come to my eyes. And in the worship service, which was according to the form but full of life, when the minister read the assurance of pardon, I bawled. These people next to me must have thought I was nuts. I just wept profusely. That was the step that I needed to get out of that part of the slew of despond. It is to me, next to the sermon, the most priceless part of a worship service. I, I can't. It's just grievous uh, when ministers have a, a hearty prayer of confession and they go on in worship. God forbid you leave God's children like that. You never are left with just confessing your sins. If we confess our sins, then we sing a hymn. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and he's just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I love that step. What about guilt, false and true? Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 14, blood of bulls and goats can't take away the guilt of sin, but the blood of Jesus cleanses us of dead works, cleanses our consciences of dead works. The blood of Christ is that step by which we get out of the slew of our sense of guilt, both false and true. And incidentally, folks, if you labor with false guilt, and all of us do to some extent, here again, it's not just your Bible. It's a pastor that you need. And sometimes a pastor has to say to someone, you never should violate your conscience, but you can have a malformed conscience. And many times you can lacerate yourself with false guilt. And there you want to have yourself disabused of that, have your conscience formed by the word of God. <laughs> and then you feel a sense of guilt. You go to the cross again and realize that the, the, the word of God says, we'll come to this later. There's no condemnation to you, but we'll come to that. Fear. See, many of you are afraid to admit that you're in the slew of despond because you are petrified. Maybe not petrified of what God's going to do for you, but petrified. Is God going to save my children? What's it going to be like? Will my husband live long enough to provide for me? Fear, 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 fear. You know the most common phrase God uses for his people in the Bible? Fear not. Don't fear. And you know the reason why he uses that? You've got a very understanding God. And he knows we struggle with fear. Then, of course, we go back to guilt. We feel guilty because we're fearful, right? Okay, you need two steps. One, one is the step that says, hey, no condemnation. The other that says, no, don't fear. Don't fear. I'm with you, says the Lord. Isaiah 41 in particular, where you have kind of the heart of the gospel age is depicted. It's fear not. What about doubt? Don't you love the way the Bible helps us with that? I feel so guilty because I doubt. Really? 
Do you believe, Jesus says, to the man whose son is afflicted? And he says, of course I believe. No, he doesn't. He says, I believe. Help my unbelief. And Jesus doesn't slap him down. That's a step for you when you doubt things. I believe, help my unbelief. And it's good to be honest like that. Warnings and threatenings, or doubt, warnings and threatenings in the scriptures. That great step. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. In our area, we work with a lot of Roman Catholics, some of you from Roman Catholic background, and this is the glory of the biblical gospel. Roman Catholics live under a constant sense that they're being punished, they're being condemned for their sins, and that seaweed will continue. The Lord is punishing for my, for my, for my sins. And you say to them, wait a minute. When the Bible says there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ, you know what no means? No. <laughs> you know what the Greek means when it says no? No. <laughs> and so that's the step. There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. And you say, but, but, but wait a minute. Now, I, you know, I, I've sinned against the, the Lord. There's a difference between the way a criminal is treated when he breaks the law and when is a Christian you sin against God and break the law. My usual illustration is if I've got some guy out and he's on, believe it or not, this Orthodox Presbyterian minister lives on Tulip Avenue. Isn't that great? <laughs> right off of Church Street. Although, actually, I knew of a minister in Hartford, Connecticut. He really was in a bad state. He lived on Beelzebub Road. But <laughs> Tulip Avenue, and this fellow out of total depravity throws a brick through my window. I'm going to call the Malvern police, right? That's one of my children did it. I'm going to give them a good spanking, but I'm not going to call the police. Why? They're my children. So it's the same thing, okay? There's no condemnation to those who are in Christ. The step, the step for those who are struggling with unbelief. All these things are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ and that believing you might have life in his name. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins be as scarlet, they'll be whiter than snow. But that reasoning together goes way beyond that. When you, when you struggle with unbelief about certain things, that doesn't mean you're not a Christian. It means you're a fallible person still living with a mind still to some extent darkened because of sin. And God says, come to me. Talk to me. Read my word and believe it. Those are the steps when we deal with unbelief. Weariness and despondency. We're going to spend a little bit more time dealing with that tomorrow morning. Even the young men run and they become weary. But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not grow weary and they shall walk and not faint. Don't become weary in well-doing, for in due season you will reap if you don't faint. Weariness is not a sin, but the way we live that makes us weary may be. We'll talk about that more a little bit later when we come to rest. And what about opposition? We talked about that last night. You live a life seeking to follow the Lord faithfully, and I guarantee you, you will get opposition. Pastor McElhaney and I were comparing notes last night. <laughs> He's got a lot more of it than I have. And once Margaret said to me, Bill, Jesus sick. I was talking about 
different things that had come up. That's really what I am. Margaret said, Bill, Jesus said, woe to you when all men speak well of you, but you've never had that problem. So, <laughs> opposition that comes. The step. What are the steps? God's exceeding great and precious promises, and because of the blood of Christ, they're all yes to you. No weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. What does no mean in the Hebrew? No. And every tongue that rises up against you to judge, you will condemn. This is the heritage, the inheritance of the servants of the Lord. And you know what me immediately say? But Lord, I'm not righteous enough to have this be true of me. And the Lord wonderfully anticipates your thoughts and says, and never forget, your righteousness is in me. Anticipating the perfect righteousness of Christ. So see, these are the steps. These are the steps that get you out of the slew of despondence. Of course, the problem is we miss them, and we kind of slip a little bit and fall back, but always, always go back to the steps. Now, that's not the end of this. John Bunyan had a very, very high view of human agency. Uh, one of you was commenting on... on uh, you know, you, when you read Bunyan, you almost wonder if Christian can, quote-unquote, lose his salvation. And Bunyan would have regarded that thought as we should as abhorrent. Uh, but there are points at which you really you know, wonder if this guy's going to make it to glory. There's times at which we wonder if we're going to make it to glory. And as you read Pilgrim's Progress, John Bunyan, who knew humanity, had a very high view of human agency. And brothers and sisters, may hyper-Calvinism be blown away from us. God uses instruments of grace to save and keep you by his grace. Does he need them? Doesn't need them. But God is a God of second causes. And he uses people to be what Christian, what John Bunyan calls help. Help. Help comes to Christian and pliable in the slew, and he is the one who speaks to them and reminds them of the promises. Now, as you look at your notes, how to be a help. We've got about 10 minutes here, and I can go through this rather quickly, but I'll do it slowly enough that you can write these down. This is really important. In this room, you have people who need a help. Now, please don't go to them and say, do you need a help? Pastor Shishko said we need, because I like to be, don't do that. You pray, and the Lord will give you people that you can be of help, but you've got to be of help to people. And again, hyper-Calvinism, oh, well, the Lord will help them. The Lord will grant the Holy Spirit to them. The Lord will work. Come on. God uses means. How can you be a help to other people? This is Biblical Counseling 101. Number one is not talk. Number one is hear the one in need state what the problem is. Someone is distressed. Someone is burdened. We had a help who came to my wife when she was battling with postpartum depression. And that help, who happened to be our next-door neighbor, just said, Margaret, talk to me about what you're going through. And it's like Margaret's given me permission to say this, so I'm not speaking on a term. If you're going to use your children as a sermon illustration, get permission first, Pastor Puntier. Hear the one in need state what the problem is. Tell me what's going on in your life. And again, this has got to be someone that 
knows you. You know, so don't go up to people on the street, you know, Whittier Avenue, or Boulevard, whatever it is. Say, hey, uh, talk to me. Tell me what's going on here, New York. You don't know what they're going to do to you if you say that. But but they're open to you, and it's obvious. Hear the one in need. State what the problem is. You know, sometimes that alone helps. Because when they speak, you know, we're all like this. We've got these things, our slew of despond is our heads. And sometimes it's just trying to articulate what it is that we're dealing with. That, that may not solve the problem, but that alone helps you. But listen to the one in need help. Hear the one in need state what the problem is. Number two, and this is so important, really enter into the person's life situation. That's called empathy. Sympathy is when you're with them. Empathy is when you are in them, okay? Empathy is a stronger word than sympathy. You enter into their life's situation. That's why James says, let every man, every woman, be swift to hear. That's why God gave us two ears and one mouth, right? Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And please don't say, I understand, unless you can really say this is something that has happened in my own experience. I do not understand what a widower is going through. I've never been a widower. I don't relish even the thought of being a widower. But you seek to enter in to what they say. That, and why? Because as Christians, you're being remade into the image of Christ, who is what? The sympathetic high priest who not only is with us, but he is the one who is right there in us during these times. So really, really enter into this person's life situation. And my beloved fellow pastors and elders, we're often not very good at this. Ministers are primed to give answers to people. And before people get a third of a sentence out, we know the verses to say, the theological concepts to give, the sections of the confession of the catechism. Repent, my dear brothers, and learn to listen. Number three, comfort people with the steps, the promises of God. Not at first, but after you've listened and entered into their situations, comfort them with the promises of God, whether you read them out of the scriptures, if that's there with you, or just quote them, but comfort people with the steps, the promises of God. Learn to be like your Savior who knew how to speak a word in season to those who were weary. And if you read that context in Isaiah, it says that he was able to do this because he said, my ear you have opened. Isn't it amazing? The God-man, as to his humanity, had to grow in understanding. And because his ear had been opened by God to hear, he was able to speak a word in season to those who are weary. A word spoken in season. How good it is. Number four, keep opening up the gospel in its inexhaustible riches. Keep opening up the gospel in its inexhaustible riches. Here's one of my favorites. And it's the way to do this, uh, one of the young people, and so I'm loving chatting with the young people. 
and, and I appreciate my dear brother Len trying to abscond with me to get me out to get some rest, and, and I appreciate that. But I love ministering to you all, even at the breaks, okay? And But the young people in particular, I love their questions. I'm looking forward to that time tonight after my presentation. Anyway, anyway. Study, how do, how, he said, great question, how do, I, how do I not be appliable? Keep reading the Word of God and focus on the Gospels, focus on Christ, the Old Testament. Yeah, it's amazing to me, ministers, I'll make enemies of all the pastors in here by the time I get done this way. But, you know, I need to learn to preach Christ. Okay, I preach, praise the Lord. So I'm going to begin by preaching through the book of Leviticus. You want to create another OPC that dies? Have your first preaching through the book of Leviticus. Why? Because I want to preach Christ. Hello, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Why don't you choose one of those first? Preferably Mark. It's a little bit easier. Come on. Don't show off your knowledge. Well, I can really show how the Old Testament focuses on Christ. Preach on the Gospels. Study Christ, and you will learn how to draw from the Gospel in its inexhaustible riches. Here's one of my favorites. The brokenhearted mom and dad over their son or their daughter. Last time I was here, there was a young man, very sincere, and he wanted to know what I believed about covenant succession. And I've learned how to deal with these things. I said, before I answer your question, tell me what you mean by it. And he kind of stumbled. I said, let me tell you what you mean by it. If you do the right thing with your children, they will inevitably grow up to be Christian. That's what I believe. That's what I believe. I said, young man, what do you do with this? God says in Isaiah 1, I have raised up children, and they have rebelled against me. Where did God blow it? And he said, that text doesn't apply in this situation. And I said, that's a lot of, I won't give you the next word I use, because it's a mixed company. Because that's what it was. Folks, Sometimes our young people need to go through slew of despond and doubting castle before they really, really will come to Christ. Or sometimes they are in Christ, but the Lord will nevertheless permit them to go through that so they really learn what sin and grace are about. Here's the comfort. There's not one parent who came to Christ for his or her child, or for that matter, servant, because that was part of the household. Not one that Jesus turned away. And I think that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The only thing is this, folks. God has a timetable, and we have a timetable. And they don't always line up, because our timetable may be wrong. Okay? And there are times I've seen this in pastoral ministry. You may need to be in glory, and your body may need to be in a casket before the light by God's grace goes on for your children. Sometimes it works like that. But 
All of this is about help. Keep opening up the gospel and it's inexhaustible riches. And as you read, especially read through the gospels, oh, it's wonderful. There's not a need that the Lord does not meet in himself. Number five, draw humbly from your own experience. Draw humbly from your own experience. Well, that sounds self-centered. Well, it better not be self-centered because what you are is of grace. But the Apostle Paul gives the primer on counseling in 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3 through 5, and I think there's like 10 references in the original to the, to the word comfort, okay? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of all comfort. Comfort doesn't come from you, it comes from him. The God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our afflictions, to the end that, it's a Hina clause, I believe, to the end that, we might be able to comfort others with the, the King James has got it right, with the self-same, the very same comfort with which we are comforted of God. For if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort. And if we're comforted, it is for you as well. Brothers and sisters, that's a glorious picture of the body of Christ. And that's one of the reasons why you and I go through the afflictions we go through. Not so that we'd be Greek Stoics and bear it under the name of Calvinism, but rather that we go through it knowing God's put us in a seminary class in which we're meant to learn, and I guarantee you, I'd say give you all the money I've got as a bet, but I don't have that much, and I don't bet anyway, but you get the point. God is going to give you other people to minister to who are in that situation and God has ordained that you draw from the very things you learned as you were going through affliction so that you might, without drawing attention to yourself, but drawing attention to the God of all comfort, say, these are just some of the things I learned when I went through almost an identical thing years ago. And then you can be a help to other people. Draw humbly from your own experience. And then finally, number six, please pray with the person. Even if it's on the phone. Pray with the person. Even if it's an unbeliever, pray with the person. Certainly pray they know Christ. But pray that God would pour his blessings upon them because the goodness of God leads us to repentance. But pray, why do you do that? Because quite frankly, we can't do anything in ourselves. And you don't even want to leave a meeting with the metaphor that we can help ourselves in these things. Only God can help. And one of the ways I love to pray is this, Lord, I can counsel people from your word, but I'm not the wonderful counselor. I can't do wonders, but you can. Do wonders in these situations. All right, let's wrap it up in this way. So there you go. There's your biblical counseling 101. I hope that you biblical counselors out there, Dr. Paulison and Dr. Welch, are pleased with Pastor Shishko's introduction to biblical counseling. What happened to pliable? Remember the parable of the sower? Some people receive the word of God with joy, but they don't have any root in themselves, and they fall away. He goes back to the city. He gets out of the slough. He wants nothing more to do with this stuff. He gets out of the slough and goes back to the city. Some people call him wise, others call him a fool. Some mock his cowardice, and Pliable realizes he just can't win. The point is, folks, don't turn back. Don't turn back. Very interesting detail in Pilgrim's Progress, and then we'll pray. Pliable gets out of the slough on the side closest to his house 
in the city of destruction. That's his default. That's his center of gravity. That, that's his reboot, is to go back to the celestial city. Christian struggles to the side of the slough that is closest to the wicked gate. Even in the slough, according to Bunyan, he knows he's got to get to the wicked gate. The lesson, it's not so much your falls into the slough, because they're going to come, as on what side do you get out? And if you go through all of those things and you say, it would be a whole lot better not even to be a follower of Christ. Join the ranks of Pliable, who went back to the city of destruction. But if you say, with all the mess and the stink of my being in the cesspool of the slough of despond, I'm still, by God's grace, going to use the promises and get out in the way that keeps me following Christ. By God's grace, you are doing great. True Christians not only get out of the slough, they keep going in the right direction. That's what the Bible means when it says pressing forward toward the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Father, make us to be helps when we're in our own sloughs of despond that come at many points in the Christian life. For some, Father, the slew of despond may come in their remaining days of life. But wherever it is, we pray that you would give us helps, be it pastors, elders, deacons, our brothers and sisters in Christ. Give us helps who will come to us with love for us, not intruding, but showing love and concern to listen and to simply open up to us what we need, the Word of God. Remind us, Lord, we don't, it's not just the Word, but we need guides for it as well. And then, our Lord, for each of us in here, may we take this Biblical Counseling 101 and make us to be those who are helpers to all those around us, Christians and non-Christians alike, for the glory of the one who is God our help, Jesus Christ. Amen.